Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. When I think about Valentine's Day, I remember one of my favorite Valentine's stories uh, from a good friend of mine who uh, worked with me for a number of years. And uh, he was humble enough to relate it. And, um, but before I tell you that story, you know, on Valentine's Day, there's a couple of things that are really popular. One is chocolate and one is flowers. Yeah, roses in particular, but anything red, right? And this weekend, New Seasons, they, every weekend they have a sampler, something that they offer people for free that you can go check out. So I'm giving you the heads up on this, men. In particular, if you haven't bought chocolate, just take a little drive down to New Seasons today because they have chocolate sampling going on, okay, both light and dark. And I just need to take a quick survey of how many of you are the milk chocolate, the light chocolate fans. Okay, we've got it. Okay, now how many are the dark chocolate? Oh, yeah, I see some double hands up back there. Okay, last night it was heavily weighted toward the dark chocolate, but today we're pretty even Stephen. Well... They have both down there and all sorts of little things added in, spices and seasons, really fun stuff. So you can get some free chocolate there today. But my friend, it was Valentine's Day and he had forgotten about it. He was driving home from work and he thought, I've got to find a florist shop quick. And he saw one of those that's attached to a big box store, you know, like a Target or one of those. In this case, it was, um, I think it was Kmart. And he saw it attached, and he thought, I've got to go in there right now and get something for Teresa. He goes in, and it's looking pretty bedraggled by this time, because you've got to know this is the day. And, but he sees a few things left that are the right colors, red and white, right? And maybe a little pink thrown in for good measure. And he saw a mug, and it was red. And, you know, she likes coffee, too, so he thought, good, the container's cool. And it said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Perfect. He bought it. He took it home. Didn't really look at it more closely, handed it to his wife, to which she burst into tears and ran to the bedroom because, while it said, I love you, I love you, I love you, on his side that he had seen, it said, Grandpa, on the other side. He was so busted, so busted. She knew. She knew this had been a quick, not necessarily so thoughtful Valentine's gesture. On Valentine's, I always like to think back. Our first Valentine, Jared and I, we met in the eighth grade, and they had a thing called Valograms, and I wanted to send him one anonymously because I secretly really liked him. I'm not sure how secret it was. And I thought, who better to learn from than my big brother? I only have one brother. He's four years older, so he's a senior in high school, right? Okay, and he liked the girls. So he had a bunch of Valograms because they did that at high school too, and that he had written, and they were out on his desk. So like any good sister, I did my own snooping. I went in and read a couple of allograms he had written for some of the girls. And I noticed this tagline that I really loved. It was yours till the sun melts. And so I borrowed it for my first valogram to my man. He gave me a a valentine this morning and he signed it off, yours till the sun melts. And a few other code words that we have. It was a lot of fun. But you know, when we talk about, today we're talking about connection about connecting with one another. There's two big stories in Acts 2. And the first story is what happened last week when Peter preached a sermon, people were cut to the quick, and they connected with God. They said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So they connected with God. And connecting with God is one of the big things we're about. We want people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we were designed for. 
But connecting with each other is also important. And in fact, Jesus put those two together. Once you connect with him, then you have to be connected together. Now, John put it this way in 1 John, which is a great love story, if you will. He said, if you love God, you must love your brother. If I love God, it's always going to play out in the relationships around me. But here brings up the big Valentine conundrum, and it's the same conundrum when we talk about connecting with each other. It's that we get hurt. People hurt us. Not all of our connections work out, do they? Even in my own family, my mom, after 33 years of marriage, her marriage ended. And it was painful, and there were six kids and so much history together. But that's the vulnerability that we feel when we start to talk about connecting with each other. And it's not just marriages, it's friendships. Any of you ever had a friendship gone sour? Yeah, we have things where a confidence is betrayed, maybe something very deep. And we have a disagreement about it, and there's never any resolution of it. And we decide, what do we do? Do we move closer to that person? No, we put up a wall and we back off from that person. Because connection requires trust. And we're going to talk today and look at this story of what happened chapter 2 um, after they connected with God and the, how they built their connections with each other. What was important? What was the cement? What was the glue that helped them in their connections with each other? And while we talk about that, we have to be totally honest that we could still get hurt. That's the vulnerability of it. But now you're not alone in your hurt. Because if we're connected with God, we have been forgiven. And the good news this morning for any one of you who came here and you feel alone and you feel disconnected and you feel maybe disconnected from God, but disconnected from other people. I have good news for you because Jesus Christ wants to be your Valentine, not some once a year retail extravaganza. But he wants to be your best friend. He wants to be the lover of your soul. He is. He loves you just the way you are. That's the good news this morning is that that connection is available to you. And it's the one that will never let you down. It says he will never disappoint us. The one who trusts in the Lord will never be ashamed. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't blow the trust that we extend toward him like people do. So we can count on that. And that's our confidence as we think about connecting with each other. And we're going to take a look at now this story out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I just want to say that this is actually a summary. It's a summary of what's going to follow. He's telling us what they did in general, not just one time, not on just one day or one week of the year, but all the time in response to what happened. They'd gotten saved. They'd given their hearts to Jesus. And now this is how they connected together and became a community, much like Evergreen. This is the first church, a description of it. And Paul has three descriptions like this in the book of Acts. The first one's here where he gives us a summary. Then the next couple chapters, he gives us examples of what he's talking about. For instance, you know, that kind of thing. Then in Acts, the fourth chapter, verses 32 through 37, he gives us another summary. This is what the church was about. This is how they connected together. This is how they acted toward each other. And then there's a couple more chapters that give you specific examples in specific time and space of how that happened. And then he gets over to Acts 6, verses 12 through 16, and he gives us another one. And I just tell you those because you might be interested in reading them later. Well, let's take a look and see what they did to get glued together, to get connected together. It says this in verse 42. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. At the end of our time together today, we're going to look at what would it sound like if we wrote a paragraph about Evergreen, about our church, about how connected we are. What would that paragraph say? But isn't this a rich one? It's a wonderful story of what was going on to connect them together. And I like to think of connection in these terms. And most of you are familiar with Velcro. And, you know, Velcro was designed with, a, with one ultimate purpose, and that was to be easily disconnected. Now, I know moms across the world rejoiced when Velcro hit shoes, little kids' shoes, you know, because suddenly, especially toddlers, okay, they're not tying their shoes yet. That was a big relief. Why? Because you could just flip that little flap and pull the shoe off. It was so much easier. Disconnecting. Let's make it as easy as possible. That's one way of looking at relationships. Let's keep it safe. Let's make it easily disconnectable. But I like to think of it more along the lines of superglue. Because you see, the primary uh, purpose in superglue's invention was to form the quickest bond possible. It was to get things to bond together, to stick together almost immediately. Even the finest china, using that little dab, would create an incredible bond and put it together. So when we think about evergreen and we think about being connected together, we want to be a super glue church, not a Velcro church. One where our relationships are so interwoven, we care for each other so deeply that there's an immediate bonding. That if somebody came in here and experienced our community or somebody was working alongside someone from evergreen, there'd be an immediate connection. There'd be this desire to go one step deeper wherever they were at right then. I'd like to know that person more. I'd like to have a conversation with them. I'd like to have coffee with them. I'd like to go eat with them. That's what we want to create. That's what we want to be. Well, they had a common devotion. That's what pulled them together. Right now in Vancouver, BC, there's a whole bunch of people collected, and they have a common devotion. What do we mean when we say devotion? Well, what it means here when it says they were devoted to four things is this, that they were steadfastly committed, that they were completely sold out to these four things, that they were pursuing these things wholeheartedly. Now, the words used earlier in Acts, in Acts 1, the fourth verse, excuse me, Acts 1, the 14th verse, where it says that they were together constantly in prayer. The word constantly. It's this giving constant attention to something. There were four things that this early church gave constant attention to. And it used it again in Acts 6, 4, when they decided that, They needed to help the widows out and distribute food better. But the apostles said, that's not what we should be doing. We're going to pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we're going to give our attention to prayer and the teaching of the word. Give our attention to. Those people in Vancouver right now are very focused on their events. They've prepared. They've spent thousands of dollars and, and thousands of hours preparing for that. 
That's what this word devotion means here. And there's four things that the early church really connected around. Their pursuits that they did together. And the first of those was teaching. And it says the apostles teaching. And we go, I wonder what that included. Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament. They were going to be writing it. They were going to be living it out, all these things that we read about in the New Testament. But we know they had the prophets. They had the Old Testament that they could look at. And they had this thing called the apostles' teaching. Paul kind of refers to it for us in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 3 through 11. He says, I delivered to you what I had received as of first importance that Jesus Christ came to earth and died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he rose from the dead three days later, according to the scriptures, and that after that, he appeared to first of all Peter, and then to the rest of the apostles, and then to about 500 men he appeared to. And he said, this is the gospel that we preach to you. Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead for forgiveness of sins. And so there was this message that was at the core of all of the apostles' teaching that came out all the time when they were talking. But in our case, we have all of the scripture. So what does this mean for us? Well, it just means that when we get together in a variety of settings, we always include some time of sharing from God's word. Now, it doesn't all look like a lecture like this, which actually isn't ideal to me. We'd be a lot more interactive, and it'd be really cool to do that more. But it looks like when we're together during the week and we're sitting down with some friends over conversation and we might be having sharing from our devotions, what we read. This morning it was Acts 21. And boy, we're going through Leviticus. Anybody else out there really, you know, can't wait to get to the end of that book? Okay, so maybe it's when we get together, we're just sharing, hey, I had a really cool insight today. And I did from Acts 21, you know. It was that religion's never satisfied. You can't satisfy the rules by doing the rules. It never satisfies people. But, you know, we have those little things and we share them together. It might look like the fact that when we get together at retreats, there's going to be a woman's retreat in April. There's an opportunity there to have a a speaker come and share from God's word. But even more than that, there's time with the person you're rooming with, bunking with. And there's opportunities then to share together about what God's been speaking through his word. It's that kind of commitment. It's not all formal. It's informal too. It's us just talking about what we just heard together. So that's this. We're committed. We're devoted to teaching together. Secondly was prayer. And, you know, this isn't rocket science. It's not certain way of talking to God. It's just a conversation with God, just like I'd have with my best friend, Jared. It's just having a conversation, talking with them. That's what they're talking about here. But, you know, this wasn't just me alone in my prayer closet, as people put it, or me alone out in the woods. I had a roommate a sophomore year in college, and she told me that that's how she liked to worship. I, you know, she didn't like to be part of a church, a community. She wanted to worship God out in nature by herself. That's nice, but that's not a complete picture of God. He says we need each other, prayer together. And that's why we offer opportunities like that. You know, at the beginning of services or at the end of services, there's a prayer team available to pray with you. But you know, it goes beyond that. It's informal. I was on the phone with our son just the other day. He's in the process of making a big decision about where he'll do his residency. And he's going to find that out next month. And I, at the end of every conversation, rather than me assuming, oh, I should pray this way for him, I should do this for him, I ask him, how can we pray for you about that? Because he can tell me, 
this is what I'd really like, Mom. This is, this is what I'd like to know. This is what I want, the peace of the Lord that rules my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. You know, it's great to let people tell us what they'd like us to pray about. That's such a blessing, such a great thing. You know, sometimes it happens in unusual places. We always go out here in the lobby, and oftentimes we have food together, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But I was out in the lobby just a few weeks ago, and up walked one of our young men. He's a middle schooler, and he came up. I said, Hi there, Noah. And he said, would you pray for me, Pastor Ann? I mean, there's people all around, right? He has more courage than most of us, I think. And I said, sure, what do you want me to pray about? And he told me. And we stopped right then. We closed our eyes. We took hands even, you know, this junior high kid didn't mind a bit. And we prayed together over what he wanted to be prayed for about. So when we're talking about prayer, it's not just a formalized ritualistic experience that we're talking about here. This was happening all over the place in a variety of venues, including in their home, in Solomon's colonnade, and in the temple, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So prayer, it's just a wonderful uh, conversation with God. And I want us to capture the heart of prayer. You know, we said, Jared and I have this little saying, and it is really, it's because it's true. Communication, which is what prayer is, equals relationship plus content. Sometimes we're so worried about what the content should be that we miss the big point of prayer, of talking with God. It's about relationship. He already knows what we need. He already knows the state of our heart. So why do you think he likes us to pray? So we can be redundant for him? So we can remind him? Put the string on his finger? No. You know, be his own personal PDA? Hey, God, I'll let you know. You know, here's your list. No, it's because he wants us. And that's what this prayer piece is about. But there's something else. See, it's not just these things that have to do with our relationship with him that we're going to do together, teaching and prayer, but it's also about our relationship with each other. And that's where this third one that they were devoted to, loving relationships or the fellowship, as they called it. The fellowship there, that word's koinonia. Many of you are familiar with it. I learned that word even as a young girl because I went to a church camp part of the time that was called Koinonia. And I had a pastor who had a TV program and a radio program that was called Koinonia back in the 70s in the Jesus people days. And what did this refer to? It referred to the goal of our community together. It's talking about this unity of the spirit. This They were all together in one place and they were devoted to the same things, just like those athletes. It was their own special God Olympics going on, their own special Olympics together where they were so connected to each other. It's talking about... an a community of people where each individual is held up by the group. Upheld by the group is another way of looking at that. It's so amazing when you experience that. This last week, I called somebody about a meeting possibility. And when I called them, I didn't get the person I was talking to. I got their spouse. But you know what they did? They asked me about my granddaughter, first of all, that was born two weeks ago yesterday. And on top of that, it didn't stop there. You see, they thought about They said, is there anything that we could do for you guys? And I said, you know, I can't think of anything right now. And he said, well, if you think of some way that we could support you in being new grandparents, let us know. That's the individual being upheld by the community. There's not that sense of, it's not just an obligation. It's a, I want to do that. I want to be connected. That's what was happening here. I love those experiences that we can have. You know, we've been praying for people to get jobs. And I have a spreadsheet going every week from the connection cards. People have asked us to pray for people to get work that have been out of work. It was so cool. This last week, I crossed four names off the list. 
Four people got substantial jobs. I mean, they were wage earning, uh, living wages, as we would call them, uh, for these people. That's exciting. Why do I care about that? Koinonia, the fellowship. Because what happens to you matters to me. It was so awesome to go through that list again and see how God had worked. That's what loving relationships, that's what it's talking about. We love because he first loved us. I can care about you and your business because of God loving me and caring about my business. Then there's this fourth thing. And man, this is screaming crazy to some people. It's meals. It's food. Food and beverage, you can say it any way you want. You know, a lot of people like to spiritualize this. I call it that, where they say, well, that's the Lord's Supper, meaning communion, referring to when we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection by taking the bread and the juice, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and something that was given to us, a rite, if you will, that was given to us to remember that. But you know what? The words that are used here, including for in the homes when they broke bread with gladness from house to house, both of those words indicate that this was a meal. It was more than a snack. And we have records of that. They had what they called agape feasts. And that's just the Greek word for love, God's kind of love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. But they had these love feasts. So imagine now, there were these comments made a lot in the hippie days. It's just a big love fest over there. You know, imagine if that was the accusation for us, all that evergreen. It's just a big love fest over there. That would be cool. That would be cool. And food was a part of that. Now, sometimes it got out of hand like it did in the Corinthian church, and Paul had to kind of bring him in line. But here, Luke's talking to us about meals together, how food can connect us, how food provides an opportunity, kind of a 45-degree thing that we we're talking about, where we can have conversation together. It's so awesome. I can remember one of the first meals, uh, the most memorable meals that Jared and I ever had, some new believers in our church plant been saved for maybe a year or two. Chick and Wendy were their names, and they were saving money. They wanted to build a house debt-free. And he's a real do-it-yourself. They were actually a very do-it-yourself couple, and they still are. Now, they did get their dream house. I'll let you know that. They built it, and they did do it debt-free. It took them about 15 years, but it was amazing. But this is how they did it. We, they lived in a house they rented, very simple, and they turned off, disconnected the heat, because they didn't want to spend money on the heat. And instead, he installed a pot belly, an old Franklin stove, in the garage. And then they took old bucket seats from cars, and they put them around this pot belly stove. So we came for dinner, and it was too cool by the end of dinner to stay in the house much longer. So we took, grabbed our food, and we went out into the garage, and we all lined ourselves up in these bucket seats, semicircle around the Franklin Wood stove. And we had the greatest conversation. You know, he was an evangelist, is an evangelist, has led many people to Christ. He loves to tell the good things God's doing in his life all the time. And so we regaled each other with stories, funny ones, sad ones, trying ones. But we sat around that stove and talked about what God was doing in our lives, what he was doing in the world. It was such a great memory that night. And we've recalled it with a lot of humor since then. Well, that's not all, though. Sometimes it's on the other end of the spectrum. We get intimidated about having people to our homes, don't we? In this techno age, it's amazing. We have more opportunities to connect than ever before, but it can sometimes keep us apart. Jared and I, when we moved to Los Angeles, okay, the best way to say it is we had to interact with a lot of people that people thought were bigwigs. And in that culture, what was common was either offering catered meals, you know, not cooking it yourself, certainly, and often at another location, or going to restaurants, 
and having the meals done there. And Jared and I, that's not really who we are. It's not wrong to cater meals and do all that. That's wonderful sometimes. But we thought, well, and also that's not in our budget. (laughs) And we said, let's have them over. Now, I have to tell you, I went to Ralph's at Thanksgiving, my first Thanksgiving in L.A., and I was buying all these ingredients to make the Thanksgiving meal, and the the clerk who was checking me out said, are you cooking a home-cooked meal? (laughs) She said, I'm coming home with you. You know, and it was total shock on her face because everybody was lined up with Ralph's full meal deal there. You know, the stuffing, the gravy, you name it. You could buy it already prefab. And that's kind of more the culture there. But we decided, you know what? This is who we are. This is what we'll do. And we had them to our house, these people from all over the nation. And we bought our tables from Costco, those plastic tables. We set them up and we had to take the whole living room and our dining room, which was pretty substantial size, to make to get everybody in. Because, of course, we had included all spouses. That's something that we're passionate about. So we had them all there and we had this home-cooked meal. We hired somebody to come in. Actually, we had got a friend to come and play our piano for us better than any of us in the house could. And we just had this incredible time in the Lord. But some of us, for fear of the very things I've talked about, that either it won't be good enough for someone, we don't have the right number of place settings, we don't have matching dishes, we don't have a nice enough place, you can do it. Jared and I have had meals in garages that were better than the finest restaurants in the world because of the company that we were keeping. That is what we're talking about in terms of meals that connect us, food that can connect us. It's not about the food, but it is about the experience we have around it. Well, in case you're thinking, well, this was just for them. This was their time. But did this end? Was this description an ongoing description? Or did they stay dedicated to these four things? Is this descriptive or is it prescriptive? In other words, something we should be committed to too. You know, this is something found elsewhere in Scripture. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the second verse says, um, Don't be afraid. Don't forget to entertain strangers for some have entertained angels unaware by doing so. There's this, let the love of the brothers continue. There's this ever-growing commitment to each other and to including other people. And it was a century later that a newly appointed governor, his name was Pliny the Younger, and he was from the region of Pontus and Bithynia, and that's one of the places that Paul actually went to, um, but got pushed out by the Spirit and told not to go there and went to Philippi, uh, Philippi instead. But this guy was a newly appointed governor. And listen to what he had to say when he described the Christians, the church. He said, it's a political club that cares for the sick, organizes social events, provides hospitality, supports widows and orphans, raises money for the homeless. He said, it's like some deadly virus. It's spreading beyond our local boundaries. That was just one of four complaints that he registered with the ruler in Rome. Yeah, so this was not, this was an ongoing experience. Well, we want to be committed to those four things. But, you know, besides just having those four pursuits in common, those four pursuits drove them to share a common space. It brought them in proximity. It's the devotion to teaching and the devotion to praying together and the devotion to getting connected in loving relationships and their devotion to sharing meals together. And that drove them together in certain places. And they named three places just in this passage for us. One is the temple. One is Solomon's Colonnade, which is the eastern outer court, a large open area where they could all be together. And their homes. So three different spaces where these activities were going on. And this brings us to talk about the whole thing of sharing common space. 
all of us have different levels of proximity. Um, I like to say it this way. We always move from the safe to the unsafe. Safe is talking about your best friend or your neighbor down the street. Unsafe is talking about yourself, right? We tell the story about somebody else's life. It's unsafe, less safe when I start talking about myself. And it's these kinds of spaces. And there's a sociologist, Edward T. Hall, that did some great study on how space affects our connections together. And a wonderful man, a Christian, Joe Myers, did a book called Search for Belonging because he recognized that all of us want to belong. We want koinonia. We want to connect to each other. And in the middle of that, he, he talks about these four spaces, and I want to just unpack them for a minute this morning. The first is the public. The public safe space would be the temple. You see, these were Jewish believers who, even though now they claim Jesus as Christ and Lord, they had already decided they would continue to go to synagogue. They'd continue to worship with their Jewish friends who hadn't yet accepted Christ. So they would go to the services there. Now, the public space is safe, but it's not necessarily routine. It was positive, but it was also challenging. It was warm and inviting. Those are words we'd like to describe us. We'd like it to be safe on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. But do we want it to be routine? Mm, What do you guys think? No. (laughs) No, we're going to do things differently sometimes. Well, there's other examples. When we get together, our public spaces would be like concerts that we've had on Wednesday nights. That's a big public space. When a woman's Bible study shows a DVD, that's a safe public space. When they then break off into small groups, we're moving into the next space, the social and the personal spaces. So there's also a church website. And in this techno age, we have some really interesting spaces, don't we? And that's one of our public spaces. Without risking anything, we can go on a website and we can actually even interact with some people about information. Pretty safe thing. I can go on that website and find out all kinds of things about Evergreen without really having to expose myself to a more social or personal level. And then what about the social space? That's that next space they talk about. Now, this is moving, remember, from the safe to the unsafe. So it's all in degrees. And it's because of these trust issues. And in a social space, there's small talk. We connect about the things that are happening in our day. It's, but it's not highly personal. It's the safe stuff. You might say it's talking about the weather. It's talking about your favorite sports teams. It's the things that we might talk about as we're greeting and welcoming each other to the service or out in the lobby. Now, for these early believers, this was Solomon's colonnade was one of the places that happened because there were people who loved to hang out on the fringes of what was going on. They were like, whoa, that's kind of scary. You know, this stuff where demons are being uh, driven out of people and people are being healed. They didn't know what to make of it. They were filled with awe about it, but they're a little scared of it too. But you know what? You didn't have to dive right into that immediately. You could go to Solomon's colonnade and kind of hang out on the fringes and that was safer. And so they had this time where they could have small talk, where they could share about common life experiences. And in the middle of that, for us, what does that look like? Well, we have social media now. So we have Evergreen on Facebook. And you can actually start a conversation there with some other people about something that you find on the site or something that's going on over on the website. That might be one of those places that you do. We have single parent group that's just starting to meet. Today will be their first meeting. And when you go and you hear Dr. Kevin Lehman share uh, on video, that's a really great public space. And then afterwards, and as you arrive, there's some time for this social space where they talk, they have some refreshments. But then they start applying 
what Dr. Lehman talked about. Now I get to choose. I can either get personal or I can keep it social. And I get to choose that. They let that happen so that it can be a safe group. A safe group is where you let people be in the space that they need to take their next trust step. That's being respectful of people. And that's what was happening here for people. You know, there's blogging. Last summer, we had Tyler in Mexico, Tyler Vanderzen, and he did a blog, and we put a link to it on our website. Why was that? Because that's another social space where we can find out some information about what's going on. And if I really care about no Tyler and care about what he's doing down in Mexico, I might talk back. I might engage at the personal level and ask him what he's really experiencing. I might begin praying for him. I might ask him, like I did my son, how could we pray for you? There's that kind of thing. But then there's this third space, the personal space. And this space is where trust has been built to the point that we have a deeper conversation about things in our life. It's no longer about my best friend, the weather, or the neighbor, or somebody else in my family. Now it's about me and what's going on personally in my life. And we have those experiences together. This was Solomon's colonnade and home because there were people in Solomon's colonnade who were experiencing deep and wonderful things together. And then there were the fringes that were hoping to stay safer for a while. Well, this would look like our prayer before and after services with the prayer team. There's a prayer team and they'll be available over here at the end of the service. And when you go into them, you're extending great trust toward them. You're saying, here's something going on in my life. I'm letting you into my personal space. And those are people who are committed to being worthy of that kind of trust, to not talk about your situation with others, to not be uh, gossiping and those kinds of things because they want to live out a life that's worthy of your trust and not break that. You know, that can happen online too. Our son was in New York in med school and our future daughter-in-law, though they didn't know it yet, they were girlfriend and boyfriend, was at UCLA finishing her master's. And they decided, you know, we want to get closer. We want to go deeper. Let's share our devotions, what we're learning in our quiet time with God and spending time in his word. So they did online devotions where each could see the others. So they had this special time with God, but they're sharing it. That's the beauty of technology. We can have personal space with people all over the world. It's amazing. Well, in my own life, this last week, you know, this could be true of mentoring relationships in your life. And I have several young women that I mentor. And one of those this last week, a couple weeks ago, actually, I met with her. And I asked her a personal question. I asked her what she was doing for her devotions. That's kind of getting in somebody's business, isn't it? I mean, I don't come up to you at the beginning of service and say, tell me what you're doing for personal devotions, you know. Tell me what God said to you this morning. Now, I've actually had that happen to me even as a young college student because I had leaders that got in my face quite a bit. But we wouldn't do that because this is a safe space. This is the public space. But with her, I could. And it's not because I sensed a problem, but I wanted to know. And she shared with me, and I gave her a couple extra tools so that maybe that could be easier for her. And you know what? This, we just got together this past week, and instead of me even asking, she volunteered it. She shared some very personal information about how God put his finger on something in her life through reading the scriptures. And it was out of the story of Moses in Exodus, which is where, where we'd been earlier. It was wonderful to hear that. That's what we're talking about in this personal space. And then there's that intimate space, which isn't really referred to here, but was certainly going on in their homes. And, you know, in their study of this, it's most of us only have five to six of these relationships across our lifetime. And half of those are usually with relatives. That means like our spouses, you know, or another family member, your parent. It just varies for people. 
But they had a common space, and it was their devotion to those four things that drove them to these different spaces. But there was a common result for these believers, and it's shared here with us. It's a devotion to the same things brought them together and motivated them to a sweeping, what I like to call a sweeping generosity. How can I share what I have to make your life better? Where each lives for the other and we all live for Christ. And it spilled over into this gladness of heart and they were praising God together. And it wasn't, okay, when we get together, we must say thanks to God. And by the way, here's our little checklist. Whenever we meet, let's do these four things in our house. No, it was spontaneous. It was a response to what God was doing. And that's what they chose to do. They praised God. And it says this, what God did was he brought more and more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They brought more and more people to connect with God. So connecting with God leads us to connect with each other, leads us to more people connecting with God. People want to be connected. We were designed for relationship. The imago Dei, the image of God in us, is for that longing for relationship. And it's in that that other people see that in our lives, that we live a different kind of life together, that we care about each other and help each other. And it's in the middle of that that we end up getting to experience this amazing koinonia together, this amazing fellowship. And we experience these results. So today, the question is, what about you? How connected are you to God? And I wouldn't want to go a step further without inviting anyone here that might not have made that step, that response to God's great proposal, as Jared put it. You know, Jesus Christ went to greater lengths than any fiancé on the face of the planet to say, will you marry me? Will you say yes to me? But this morning, he's offering that to anyone out there who hasn't made that decision. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes with me and let's pray together. Father God, we do just say thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for making a safe place for us. And we just accept you, Jesus Christ. We accept your proposal. We say yes to you today. And we want to live out that relationship day by day. We know it's a journey, Lord. And we're just starting on it. So we say thank you to you for making the offer of a long-term eternal relationship with you, one that can never be broken in Jesus' name. And then with our eyes still closed, I just want to make opportunity. And if it's you today saying yes to God's great proposal, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand or look up at me. And I'm going to look across to the left, your right, and I'll look across the auditorium and just want to make opportunity if that's you today. I'm just looking across. Thank you, Lord. That brings us to our next question, which is, how connected are you to other people who love God? This is that koinonia thing. How, how much do you, have you really experienced that or gotten to experience that? I just want to invite you today. There's a lot of opportunities to do that. First of all, there's groups that you can be a part of. We named some of them when we were describing the space. You know, if you're a guy and you're wondering, what's my next best step? There's a men's breakfast every month. And it's a really safe place. You can always tell that because what do they emphasize in the ads for it? The food. The food, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, nothing heavy to begin with. You know, but they're going to spend some time talking about loving God there as well. But in that, you could find out about other opportunities. There's a breakfast group here that's met more than 30 years together. You know how that got started, though? Because a person said, I care about 
other people and I want to be connected. And they put that group together. You can be the beginning of the new 30-plus year breakfast club or dinner club or whatever you want to call it, group. That's your opportunity. That's one of the things you can do. There's a sign-up for the women's retreat. What a great way to connect. Because like I said, you're going to have those sessions where you can all be together in a safe public place. And you can actually have a say in who you room with. So you make sure you feel a little bit safer as you do it. But in that, there'll be an opportunity to get to know people. That's the coolest thing about a woman's retreat. We have teaching all the time. We have devotions all the time. But we're not always spending two nights and three days together. That might be what scares you, actually. And then there's the hospitality piece, this thing of having meals together. I want to just encourage you. Give it up. Give up trying to impress and have all the right stuff and be who you are. Create the kind of time that God's put inside of you to offer to people and invite some new people over. And you know what? Sometimes with new people, we start at the coffee shop because that's safe. And then we find out if it really works for us to all get together, if they'd even like to spend an evening with us. Or maybe you're safer. Let's start with a game night. Forget the meal and all the close conversation. Let's have a wild time where we might not have to talk personally. You know, that's cool. But you get to create that. And then there's an opportunity to get personal with the prayer team. Or who knows, maybe you'll be like Noah and come out in the lobby today and say, hey, would you pray for me? That would be cool. We had a lot of people do that last night. Well, we want to have the next best expression for our time together of connecting. And that's we want to take communion together. I'm going to ask you to do it this way. We're going to worship as we take the elements, the juice and the bread, out of the containers that pass. But we're, I'm going to ask you to hold on to them. Because after we've all gotten our elements, the juice and the bread, then I'm going to have you stand and we're going to turn into groups and take communion into groups of one to four people. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But let's right now, as the ushers come and begin passing it out, we'll worship the Lord. And then in just a minute, we'll get into groups and share that together, give you some more instruction. So what about us? What about our description of Evergreen at the end of 2010? If Luke were writing a description of us, what would his summary be of what we look like? You can go ahead and have a seat. I've been thinking about that a lot this week, and here's where I went. From my first encounter with Evergreen, I was struck with the love, acceptance, and warmth that people have for Jesus and each other. Everyone talks about the great things God's doing in their lives and those around Him, the improved relationships with family and friends, the restored health, the ample provision, and fun stories about people who came to know Jesus and were baptized We love to eat together. Whenever we get together, we talk and we laugh and we celebrate over all sorts of food and beverages. It's our own version of a real happy hour. We're just as enthusiastic about sharing our resources. The generosity of people is amazing. People look out for one another and they give so much that we're able to help people here, near, and far in all kinds of ways. And in the, to love people in Jesus' name all over the place. And to help new ventures start to love people in Jesus' name. Our hospitality is famous all across Hillsborough and Washington County. We love having people in our homes to share meals and conversation about Jesus and his love. These times often include talking about God, whatever's going on in our lives, and what God's up to in the world today. 
We're committed together regularly and are, we're known for our joyfully enthusiastic worship of God, our conversations with God, and our practical life-changing instruction from his word. All of us, both young and old alike, are connected in relationships that support and encourage and mentor us in loving Jesus and living lives that look more like his all the time. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, for Evergreen. <laughs>